Ephesians chapter 5. I won't read that just yet. There's a lot of information in the sermon this morning, a lot of Bible passages. Um, One of the interesting things I did in the last week or two was to just do a survey of the Old Testament where it talks about filling or filled or fills, the word fill. By the way, that's a study you could do. Uh, You could get on your computer, biblegateway.com, and look at some of those words and see the several hundred references to fill in the English Bible, either the Old Testament or the New. So like I said, there will be lots of verses this morning because I actually want to survey some of those to kind of bring us all up to speed on the subject of God's fullness. But here's the main point, folks. At the end, my purpose is to help you to come to the place where you're not just saying, yes, that's what the Bible says, but instead where you're saying, we have to do this no matter what. No matter what comes, good or bad, difficult or pleasant, this command, be filled with the Spirit, we have to obey. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 18, 15, I'm sorry, verse 15, and through verse 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pray with me, please. We don't know all that's coming, Lord, but you do. And whether there are difficulties or pleasant things, your word stands, and your command is sure. And it's not to burden us, but to bless us beyond our wildest dreams. You would have us as a body be the living temple of the Spirit of God. O Father in heaven, soften and even break our hearts today. Keep us from merely being academic, 
as is our tendency. And grant us your grace so that we would long, not just in this moment, but day after day after day, to be filled with the Spirit of God so that the mighty things that you would do through and in us and the great glory that you would have for yourself as a result of your church's obedience might come to pass. Father in heaven, have mercy on us for Jesus' sake. Amen. I preached this text a number of years ago here. Those of you who think you know what I'm going to say are not going to hear it. But what we're going to do is survey the scriptures for a few minutes to understand the background of the command, be filled. You've heard a passage just a few minutes ago from Exodus chapter 40. How the cloud and fire dwelt at the tabernacle in the midst of the people of Israel. There are parallel passages to that that we're not going to read. But if you search in Kings and Chronicles in the histories, you will find that that's a repeated pattern in the history of Israel. Now, why is that? Well, recall the account of Adam and Eve in the garden and the disobedience to God's command of which they were guilty, bringing a fallen condition into the world. But before that, God had met with them in the garden. He'd walked with them and been present. And afterward, God withdrew. He withdrew and finally cast them out of the garden because of their sin. You and I, you and I have been battling that ever since. Sin separates from God, but in his mercy he comes. He comes to be in the presence of his people. He came to Israel and met with them at the tabernacle. And then those other passages in Kings and Chronicles remind us that the same thing happened once the temple was built some years later. God would dwell in the Holy of Holies and be in the midst of his people and fellowship with them. You heard just a few minutes ago Psalm 72. The closing verses of Psalm 72, blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, and blessed be his holy name. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. God's intention is that not simply a local temple, but the earth itself would be restored to be his dwelling place in the midst of his people. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. Amen. And then there's a passage and... I'm sure you all are, are uh, diligent students of the book of Numbers. I take us to this passage because it's, of, of all the ones that I've looked at this last week, 
it, it may be the most striking. In Numbers chapter 14, and I'll summarize, I'm not going to read a lot, but in Numbers chapter 14, the people have once again sinned against God, and Moses intercedes for them. He pleads with God. Uh, he says to, to the Lord, don't, don't destroy this people. They deserve it. But then the Egyptians will hear of it, and, and they'll think you just brought the people up in order to destroy them. And he, he continues, he reminds the Lord of his words from another portion of Scripture. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Now that gives you the lead in to what I think is one of the most incredible statements in Scripture. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Thanks be to God. But truly, catch this, but truly, as I live, and as the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, and then he goes on to pronounce judgment on those who'd hardened their hearts and wandered away. But he identifies himself and then guarantees the word he's about to speak with those words, as surely as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Why does that strike me as so significant? Well, in this context, you just ex expect that, yeah, God, he's, he's, he's forgiving. That's wonderful. Uh, he's remembered his kindness and his mercy, and yet he's still going to pass judgment on those who've turned away from him and scorned him and gone their own way and ignored the, 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 the blessed offer of the promised land and then tried to turn others away from it as well. And you'd think, yeah, that, that's the story and he's going to run through it. But God identifies himself as the one who says, surely the glory of the Lord shall fill the whole earth. You know what that says to me? That says to me that that commitment is deeply ingrained in the character of our God. Even in the midst of words of judgment, he reminds Moses, surely the glory of the Lord shall fill the whole earth. And that suggests to me, my friends, that that's a theme God's filling should be central to you and me. It's not just a passing thought. Uh, God intends to fill the earth with his glory. And the question is, that we'll come to in a few minutes, are you and I going to be with the program and be involved in that work of God's filling the earth with his glory? Or are we just going to do church and read our Bibles sometimes and continue to live our lives as if that's what's most important? Sorry if I'm being a bit pointed here, but these things are pressing on me. You continue in the Old Testament 
Habakkuk chapter 2, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Daniel chapter 2, wow, read this passage for yourselves. Four kingdoms, Daniel interprets the king's dream. He lays out the, the gold and silver and so on kingdoms, and finally the one that's iron with, mixed with clay. And then he says, but a stone will come and strike all those kingdoms and they'll be blown away like chaff on the threshing floor. But that stone will grow to be a mountain that fills the whole earth. Daniel chapter 2, verse 35. Read that for yourselves, please. The point after sin broke fellowship with God, God worked and he continues to work, not simply to save people, as wonderful as that is, but God continues to work to fill the earth with his glory by redeeming, reconciling, reclaiming, restoring, reviving, renewing a people for himself and ultimately laying claim and restoring the whole earth to be his dwelling place. That's the big picture, people of God. That's the picture that needs to be before our eyes daily because that's what our God is about. He's going to fill the earth with his glory. Do you want to be involved in that? Keep listening. At the end of the Old Testament era, then fullness came in Jesus. John 1.14, he was full of grace and truth. John 1.16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Colossians 1.19 In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And that's not the end of the story. That's the completion of the work of redemption in the person of Christ. But it's not the end of the story. Now we're going to turn still looking at the background of the command in Ephesians 5.18. Now we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. And you might want to do that if you have your Bible with you. I know it's easier with hard copy of Scripture than it is with your phone. But if phone is what you're using, then go for it. Why do I want to survey Ephesians? For this reason. Because the theme of fullness is central to the book of Ephesians. It's not just in chapter 5. It starts in chapter run and 1 and runs through every chapter right up to the point where we have the command in chapter 5, verse 18. In chapter 1, and these are just incredible words, and I wish we could just spend lots of time on them, but we can't. God has put all things under Jesus' feet and given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Now, boy, the scholars have a field day with that language. Uh, what do you do with all in all? Is it everything in every way? And, and what is this filling that's going on? Well, first of all, it's not something that happens like that. Because like many other present tenses in the Greek New Testament, it is a progressive present. It keeps on happening. It is being filled. And God is filling continuously, progressively, all things in every way. He is reclaiming the earth to be his. And we look around and say, boy, it doesn't look like he's done a very good job. Look at the disaster in Peru or Myanmar or all other places in the world where there's conflict and sorrow and, and death and Syria and Turkey and the mess that's happening there with 30-some thousand people dying after an earthquake. And you look at that and you think, where is God in all of this? And the answer is, God is working his perfect will. He is going to fill the earth with glory. He will gather people to himself. He will make them his own. He will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And whether it's through difficulty and challenge or glorious uh, comfort and, and ease, whatever it is that God chooses to use, he's drawing sinners to himself. And the story of what's going on in missions today is thrilling. And you need to know more about it if you don't know much. Because what God is doing to gather people to himself all around the world is spectacular. And we ought not to be satisfied to simply be concerned with our own little corner of the world or our own little set of circumstances. I realize sometimes difficulties seem overwhelming, folks. I understand that. Last week was not terrible. But I went to the dentist, who then sent me to the endodontist, who said, yeah, you really do need a root canal. And I went to the orthopedic surgeon who did my hip, and he says, yeah, that's coming along fine, but let's order an MRI for, your for, the, for the bone spurs in your low back. And then I went to the other orthopedic surgeon who deals with arms, and he says, yeah, we're going to get some x-rays of this and take a look. Oh, yeah, you got bone spurs there too, and it's arthritic and we'll, we'll do this, that, and the other. That was last week. <laughs> that was in the last six days. I know our brother Daniel had, a, had a, a car accident, and it was great concern about him, and I'm so glad to see you here this morning, brother, and that the Lord has taken care of you, and you're doing okay. And your dad's got a new job, and you folks are going to be moving, and we're sorry to see you go, but we're thankful for what God's provided. Look, what I'm saying is there are all kinds of circumstances we're in, and some are difficult, and some are really pleasant. But in the midst of all of that, it's not your or my personal circumstances that are the center of life. It is the fact that the living God is going to fill the earth with His glory, that He's called us to be filled with His Spirit, and that He's going to do a work. He's going to continue to do a work with those who listen to and follow His Word through difficulty or prosperity, through thick and thin. Because that's who our God is. And you better get hold of that people of God.
And if you have a down day or a down week or a down month or a down year, know this, the living God is at work and He will lift you up. He is accomplishing good things in our midst. Pray for that. So Jesus fills the church. (laughs) He is filling the church. And that's what Ephesians 1 says. So let's get back to our survey of Ephesians. Chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Where is this happening? Here we go. The whole structure, verse 21, in Christ, he's the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay? That's the church. Not an organization. Not Miriam. Not, certainly not a building. Get that one out of your heads. Not once in the entire Bible is the building ever called the church. Not once. The church is the people of God. Whether they're meeting in this building or out in the field somewhere. The people are the church. And that's who's being filled. There is no holy building in this world right now. And you may call it the sanctuary. You can use that word if you want to, but you'll never hear me use it. Because the building isn't holy, but the people are. And the building doesn't get filled with the Spirit of God, but the people do. I hope. That's my prayer. Chapter 3, verse 19, we touched on last week. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So central to the obedience to the command, be filled with the Spirit, is this conviction that Jesus loves me. You know, it's possible there's some of you here today that don't really know about that love. And I won't take a lot of time to do this, but I do want to simply invite you. The Lord Jesus says to sinners, come to me, all you who labor and are weighed down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just bodies, but souls. You're weighed down. You know you're guilty. You are helpless and need a Savior. You've tried and tried and tried and not made the grade. Because you can't make the grade on God's terms because he demands perfect holiness. And he receives that through his son who gave his life in the place of sinners so that those who turn from sin and trust in him have a record that stands up to the scrutiny of the living God.
that is the record of the Lord Jesus. We turn to chapter 4 of Ephesians and we find that Christ ascended that He might fill all things, verse 10. And in verse 13, boy, this is striking as well, 4.13, I'm having trouble reading the little numbers for the verses today. There it is. God has given teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, don't respond to that by saying, oh, well, I know I'll never get there. That's only going to happen when Jesus returns. Very good. You're theologically accurate. But... You're not getting the point. Because the point is that God is going to continue to work in you and me as we trust in Christ to make us more and more like Jesus. And guess what? That has a lot to do with the glory of, the God, uh, of God filling the whole earth. Because when the people of God are more and more like Jesus then his filling of the church becomes evident to the world. And in spite of themselves, they have to say, wow, these people are an awful lot like Jesus. That's pretty cool. Or maybe they hate you all the more. But they'll know that God is among them they'll know that God is present. Okay, folks, so now we're going to move on to chapter 5, verse 18. You've been very patient. May God bless you for your listening to the Word. Please give thought to these things about the, the filling of the whole earth with the glory of God. Reckon with the fact that filling is a theme that runs through the epistle, the letter to, to Ephesus, and we come to chapter 5 and verse 18. And we've got this marvelous command. And the problem for many of us with the command is that we don't actually know what it means or how to do it. Okay, sounds great. Preacher just talked about needing to be filled with the Spirit and and I read different things about what people think being filled with the Spirit is about. So here's what we're going to do. The balance of our time together this morning, let's work to understand the command itself. So that's just the last half of verse 18. And then we will look at the question, what happens as a result of the Holy Spirit filling God's people? Okay? And that's verses 19 to 21. Verse 18. What's it mean when God says through Paul, be filled with the Spirit? 
Well, notice the beginning of the verse says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So that suggests to us the first understanding we need to have of this command. Don't be under the influence of some other force. Paul chooses wine, but look, the range of possibilities is huge here. I forget what the technical term is for English grammar when you use one thing to represent a whole bunch of things. But there's a whole bunch of things that could be listed here. He just summarizes with one. Don't get drunk on wine. Could be drugs, could be alcohol. Could be your own emotions. Could be your own willfulness. Don't get carried away and be under the influence of anything else but this. Be filled with the Spirit. That means you will be under the influence and under the direction of the Spirit of God. Okay, so that's the basic sense. And of course, if you look at parallel passage in the book of Colossians, you'll find that the Word of God has a lot to do with this. It's a fascinating thing to study Colossians and Ephesians next to each other, okay? And in this passage in chapter 5 of Ephesians, you have to be filled with the Spirit, and then there's a list of things, results that come from the work of the Holy Spirit as we're under His direction. And you turn to, to, the, to Colossians, and you find very much that same list, very similar list, is there in chapter 3, or is it chapter 4? But he says, let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. <laughs> and the point is that it's the combination of Word and Spirit here in Ephesians, Paul's focusing on the subject of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians, he's talking to them, and maybe because the church needed to be reminded, oh, you really need to pay attention to the Bible, and maybe the Ephesian congregation really needed to be reminded, oh, you need the help of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, so, so don't think that one passage tells you everything. It is still a good thing to compare Scripture with Scripture and to study with some care. But the point is that all these wonderful things that we're going to look at in a few minutes come as a result of the Spirit working through the Word. The Word lays out details for us, but the Spirit is the one who energizes and thrills and transforms the heart. And the danger, dear people of God, it's a danger that we often face in our circles is that we get to know the Word and are very good at answering questions. But there's not a lot of fire behind it. There's not a lot of energy for the things of God because we've got this intellectual thing, but we don't seem to have much of the work of the Holy Spirit. So what else do we learn about this command. First of all, has to do with being under the influence and direction of the Spirit. Secondly, obedience to this command involves a humbling of yourself to look to God and His work. Why do I say that? Because it's not fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. It's be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not something that depends on your hard work to get the Spirit, okay? It has to do with your bowing low, recognizing your weakness. If some of you are at that place 
where life has brought you difficulties that have laid you low, don't complain about that, dear people of God. Recognize that God works through that, oftentimes to expose to us our own limitations and weakness, not so that we can feel sorry for ourselves, oh, poor me, I'm so weak and and sad, but so that we might bow before the living God and seek him with all our hearts because we are weak and poor. I take you back to Laodicea, end of Revelation 3. You think you're rich, and you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And if the people of that church came to see the truth of what the Apostle John wrote to them on behalf of the Lord Jesus, then the path for blessing was wide open. Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. Amen, Lord. That's who I am. Come and fill me. Help me, Lord Jesus. It's a passive command, okay? Not fill yourself, but be filled. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know they're weak and needy. That's a good place to be, folks. Our culture teaches men to think differently. Our culture's wrong. You want to be a man of God? Be broken before God. Cry out to him for help and strength in the midst of your weakness. Don't try to pretend you're something more. Repentance is an ongoing need in the Christian life. And repentance is not just about feeling lousy about yourself. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow works repentance unto salvation without regret. Godly sorrow. Sorrow that's focused on having offended God. That kind of sorrow over sin. Not sorry because I got caught Not sorry because I look so bad. Not sorry because I feel so bad about myself. But sorry because I've offended the living God. And if I've offended the living God, thanks be to God, there's a path open for me. If I only feel bad about myself, you're in trouble, folks. You are in big trouble if your problem is that you're wrapped up in your own emotions. But if you're sorry before God then hallelujah, there's a Savior for you. Turn to Him. Cry out to Him in your need. Weep before Him over your sin and know that He welcomes you. This command is addressed to the body of Christ. That's the third thing I'm trying to say to you. It is to be under the influence and direction of the Spirit of God, to be filled with the Spirit is to, it is to bow before him and seek him humbly, humble yourself before him and ask for his work in you. And thirdly, this command is addressed to the body. It's a plural command, folks. It's a passive command. It's a plural command. 
doesn't mean you and I individually can't seek this for ourselves, but if the body isn't doing it, then there's trouble. The trouble is that the body isn't going to function the way it's supposed to function. And it can only function the way it's supposed to function if the Holy Spirit is at work in the body. Be filled, plural, with the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, friends, there better be some praying together. You know, I've read several places recently that the prayer meeting, which historically in this country in the last century was on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, the prayer meeting is dying. Well, let's see a revival of a prayer meeting, people of God. Let's see believers gathered together crying out to God to do great things. Not off in a corner by themselves, although that's good too, but not just off in a corner by themselves, but rather gathered together pleading with God for His work. Lastly, on this point, let's understand the command itself. It's not a one-time event. (laughs) Have you ever noticed in reading the book of Acts that it repeatedly says that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit? What was wrong with those apostles? They had it. Did they lose it? No, because the present tense in the Greek New Testament is almost always a progressive present. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Okay? And so, obedience to this command does not involve a one-time event where there's a revival meeting and all of a sudden everybody's filled with the Spirit and then you're done with it. Okay? You just cruise on out into eternity filled with the Spirit. No. You keep asking. You come back again. You confess more sin that's gotten in the way. You ask God to do His work over again. And more deeply this time, Lord. So that I begin to have some triumph over this sin I've been wrestling with. And it doesn't mean there won't be any sin, but maybe I'll make headway with that one. By Your grace. Last question. And this we could go on for another hour. We'll do it in five minutes. What happens as a result of the Holy Spirit filling God's people? Very important question. I want you to notice, even if your translation doesn't do it this way, because if it doesn't, then your translation needs to be changed, I want you to notice that there are four phrases that follow the command in 518 be filled with the Spirit. And each one of those phrases includes a word that ends in ing. All the way back to your grammar days, those are participial phrases. Okay? They don't stand by themselves. They are not the main verbs in the statement. The main verb is be filled. 
And then four phrases expound on the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, quick observations here. Notice that the first and last of those four have to do with our relationship with other people. Addressing one another and submitting to one another. Okay? And look, I don't believe the Bible's trying to turn this into a, into a musical. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think what Paul's talking about there is that with all the other things we talk about from time to time, we also need to be talking about spiritual things. We need to be seeking to encourage one another with the truth of God. Uh, we need to be sharing praises with one another. We need to be addressing one another with spiritual words. And we need to be submitting to one another. Boy, I could get going on this because the next verse, wives, submit to your husbands. Did you know, did you know that the word submit is not there in the original in verse 22? It's borrowed from verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, everything that follows has to do with the relationships that we have with others and the way we submit to them in those relationships. How do husbands submit to their wives? By loving them as Christ loved the church. Wow. Makes me wish instead I had the wife's role because just submitting is not nearly as challenging as loving the way Christ loved. But that's the calling. Now, okay, back to our main point. First phrase has to do with speaking spiritual, about spiritual things. Fourth phrase has to do with mutual submission in the various roles God has given. Second and third phrases. Look at those for a moment. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord and always giving thanks to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ in all things. With whom do those two phrases have to do? With God. You see? They had to do with the Holy Spirit's work in us in our response to God. So the first and fourth have to do with our, the Holy Spirit's work in us in our response to one another. And the second and third had to do with our response to God. Giving thanks in our hearts and worshiping Him and always, always, always ready to sing his praises. What do those two things add up to, folks? This is really simple, but you might not guess it. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and minds and soul and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. What the fullness of the Holy Spirit accomplishes in the people of God is obedience to the two great commands of Scripture. 
Jesus labeled them as the two great commandments. He said they summarize all the law and the prophets. Wow. You mean being filled with the Holy Spirit will enable me by God's grace to fulfill all the law and the prophets? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. The Spirit of God working in the people of God brings obedience to the commands of God, to the glory of God. The great work of the Spirit of God is to apply the work of Jesus to us in order to restore us to true fellowship with God so that we might walk before Him in a way that fills the earth with His glory. That's your calling, people of God. By the Spirit's work, live in such a way as to fill your little part of this earth with the glory of God. It's absolutely beyond you and me. But that's okay. Because the Spirit of God is available. As I said at the beginning then, my aim in this sermon is to help you to the place where you say, we have to do this no matter what. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please... Do that work in us. Please help us, Lord. Help us not to get distracted, not to forget, uh, not to wander off into other places where the Spirit of God is not at work. Help us, Lord Jesus. We need that help. We face great difficulties. But you are able, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, deliver us from ourselves. Fill us to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.